0: My name is Johnny Ball and I'm the founder of Campaign Force, a not-for-profit that inspires, trains and coaches the armed forces community to stand up and serve again. I've served on the front line of military operations and in civilian life, the front line of UK politics. This Veterans in Politics podcast is a set of interviews brought to you by Campaign Force, and sets out to explore how the military community can help make our politics a better place. I lean into my little black book of contacts and sit down with individuals from across the world of politics, sharing secrets, giving tips and advice, and inspiring the next generation. We are Campaign Force. This is the Veterans in Politics podcast. Let's introduce you to our guest. This podcast series was recorded over Zoom during the lockdown period. This was part of an exclusive event laid on for veterans and serving personnel. We'd like to thank our guests for allowing us to release part of this conversation for you in podcast format. This episode's veteran in politics is Dan Jarvis, MBE MP. Dan had a distinguished military career as a parachute regiment officer. As well as being an MP, Dan is also the Mayor for South Sheffield region, and we are delighted he was able to take time out of his busy schedule to talk with us. The beginning of this episode does have some minor sound issues, but please stick with us, as Dan's story is one that must be heard. We talk about his rapid transition from the army into politics, the very nature of service, and how dealing with grief fired him up to stand up and serve again. Dan is simply a class act, inspiring and one to watch. It's time for you to listen to the conversation.
1: I'm Johnny, I've got my fingers crossed that everybody can hear me. I haven't got the best internet connection. And I tried to make a speech in Parliament the other night and, and lost connection, which was a bit embarrassing. But hopefully, everybody uh, can see him. It's great to. Him. Johnny, thanks for the work that you're doing. Um, I'm extremely proud um, to have served in the armed forces. I've, I've been out for years, and in that time, my feet really haven't touched the ground. Increasingly, as the years go by, I come to really appreciate and value the, the nature of service and the nature of the armed forces community. I think we all know that something unique, something very special. About our armed forces. And I think there's something very unique and special about those people who serve, the unique nature of, of armed forces life. And I think it's really important that we continue to appreciate that and continue to value those who've served and, and those who've served previously. So I'm really proud of, of having the opportunity to, to be in the armed forces. Um, but of course, everyone has to take the decision to leave at some point. For me, um, very sadly, this came to a head in 2010 when uh, my life was quite literally turned upside down uh, and my wife died of cancer. And at that point, I had to take stock and think about what I was going to do next. And the motto of campaign force is stand up, serve again. And that was the decision that I took the decision to leave the armed forces, but to continue to serve, but in a different way. And being a member of Parliament, it's um, like the armed forces in some respects, you know, a unique tribute. Um, it's not the option in life, and it comes at some cost to do really well, consumes you, and it is, and there's a week and you get huge huge But I think that I'm lucky very privileged to have the opportunity to serve in politics. Just to you briefly, one example. Yesterday was the 20th of May. It was the day that the organ donation bill that I took through Parliament came into force. It's a bill that I'm confident will save hundreds and hundreds of lives and will give hope to thousands of people around the country. And there was an immense sense of satisfaction yesterday when that bill um, finally came into force. So, Despite all the pressures, despite the, crew, the scrutiny, despite all of the grief that you get from people on social media and in real life, serving as a politician, it's still an immensely rewarding professional way to make a contribution to serve, but in a different way. And I think that I'm very lucky to have had the opportunity both to serve in the armed forces and to have taken the experiences that I gained from that time into public life and as a, as a mayor and I believe that the values, the skills, the experience that you get from serving the armed forces are highly transferable into public life and into politics. I think that's all I wanted to say by way of an introduction Johnny, happy for you to, to grill me as you see fit.
0: <laughs> Not quite the the grilling um, but that's amazing that you're still able to get business through that's so important for our our nation during this time as well, and um, for those of you who haven't already seen, Dan released a book available from all good bookshops. Um, please do do look it up. In terms of what Dan has mentioned quite bravely, um, how his story started, um, you know, do look into that into into Dan's book. Um, so, I mean, you've alluded to it. We've already seen some results. Um, we've seen your electoral success, both as an MP and as and now as a mayor too, but. Why did you? What motivated you to get involved into politics in the first place? Was it always burning there? I know. I think you said you joined a political party when you were at university. uh, But what really drove you to take that leap of faith? I think you said in your maiden speech.
1: I think it was in part because I'd, I'd come to understand that what you do for a job is is massively important having something that gets you out of bed in the morning that you're passionate about, that you believe adds value and makes a real difference, is incredibly important. And given the experiences that i would had in the armed forces, it was always going to be a tough act to follow. Um, It was always going to be difficult to find something that would give me that same sense of pride, that same opportunity to get up in the morning and do something that I thought was worthwhile and that I could really commit and dedicate myself to. I think politics um, sometimes gets a bad name. And let's be honest about it. Lots of members of the public are not massive fans of politicians or of politics. But I think most people understand that actually politics, like the armed forces, is a vocation. It does require people to step forward and seek to make a contribution. And, you know, I'd had a sort of interest in it for a number of years. And you know, for the first 10 years in the army, I was so busy dashing here, there and everywhere that my whole life was consumed by service. But about 10 years into it, I think, you know, I started to think about other things and maybe start to think that at some point that I would transition from armed forces into politics. And I, you know, took advice and I talked to people who were in politics and I got a feel for what it might be like. I didn't think it would happen as quickly as it did for me. And then, as I say, sort of tragically for, for me for my family, you know, when my wife died, I had to make a tough decision about whether I was going to continue to serve and whether I'd expose myself to the risks that I had done previously. Yeah. And I didn't feel, having two years, that I could do that in the way that I had done previously. So, you know, I started to look for opportunities to get into politics. It can be quite a tough field to get into, particularly if you've been in the armed forces and haven't had the opportunity to kind of you know, get to know people and sort of get involved. But the opportunity arose uh, to put myself would be a candidate in a by-election. And I remember clearly everybody I took advice from said, you know, don't waste your time. It's never going to happen. You haven't got enough political experience. You will never be chosen to be a candidate in a place like Barnsley, which had kind of been a rock solid seat. And I listened sagely to all of that advice and just ignored it and just went for it and did it. And I think it was absolutely the wrong thing to do and I've never really looked back As it, I to say that there are some similarities
0: Was it Operation Honey Badger who's called your, your campaign Operation Honey Badger is that a rumour or is that true No that that
1: was true and, that, and that's my point about the sort of transferable skills I think people have been in the armed forces you know have a sense of Of getting things done, of of working with other people, of being able to handle pressurized, difficult, challenging situations. And there's a lot of people in politics who don't have that professional background. So I think the ability to do difficult things, to work under pressure, but I think if you've been in the arm for years, never you've seen difficult circumstances. I think that gives you a judgment, a perspective, an experience, which means that you are well-placed to prosper and thrive in public life. You know, public life can be quite a difficult place to be. You've got to have thick skin. But if you've done tough things before, I think you are much better prepared for it than, than other people will be.
0: So be, be a honey badger, I think we can take from that. And everyone, if you're not aware what a honey badger is, look it up. Um, particularly if you do Google image, you'll see what a a honey badger (laughs) looks like. There's no resemblance to Dan. I must say I'm far too polite for that. Um, But you've already alluded to it, Dan. I mean, you got elected in a by-election and you flashed a bang, as it were, from being a soldier to a politician was a relatively short transition. So what was the biggest challenge, transitioning out of the military or transitioning into politics?
1: Well, I think it was the shortest transition ever, in the sense that I was formally discharged from the armed midnight on 3rd of March, and then elected to Parliament six minutes later. So it was a pretty short period of, of, of resettlement. I think the hardest thing, really, was, was making the transition from life in the armed forces, where pretty much people roll up their sleeves and get on with the job in hand, they work with their colleagues, and uh, and they really kind of cooperate with each other to get difficult things done. That's how it is in the armed forces. That was my experience anyway. That's how it should be in politics. Sadly, it's not always the case. And politics isn't quite the same kind of sort of environment. You don't often get that sort of same shared sense of of, of camaraderie. And I think know, all of those people who've transitioned from the armed forces into politics struggle a bit with that because we're used to an environment where, you know, you look out for each other. Um, you've got each other's back. You know, you work to support your friends and your, and your colleagues. And sometimes it's like that in politics, um, but sadly not to the extent that I would like it to be. So I think it took a bit of time. Perhaps I'm, I'm still taking time to kind of operate in that different environment. And I think um, you know, the public want our politicians to always act in the national interest, to always do the right thing. And that's my guiding principle in all of this, to, say, to take the same values from the armed forces and apply them in a different context in the setting of politics. But I think that does take a bit of getting used to.
0: Now on that, you mentioned your values and how you've applied those into politics as a bit of a guiding principle and certainly as a casual observer, as it were, um, that's, that's come across evidently. But are there any specific harder skills or even perhaps softer skills from your military career that you've lent into to get you through the tough times of politics, whether that be as a mayor or as a member of parliament?
1: Yeah, I, I just think that, that we're all quite well-equipped Um, having come from the armed forces and having had those sort of challenging experiences of being in and leading a team. If you're a member of parliament, you're an elected representative in the the House of Commons, but you're also the leader of, of your own team. I've been incredibly fortunate that in my time in parliament, I've been very well supported by the people that I've recruited. And you lead that small team and you are the person who sort of sets the direction of travel But you have to kind of manage it and you have to perform many of the functions that people in the armed forces take for granted. But you are in an environment where many of your colleagues in Parliament, they don't have that same set of experiences. They don't have those same life skills. So actually, I think, you know, I'm lucky in the sense that my time in the armed forces was the perfect apprenticeship. I think the experiences of being a part of a team and leading it set you up very nicely to actually make the most of the opportunities that public life and parliament affords you. So, as I say, I think highly transferable skills and that's why by and large, you know, people who've been in the military make good members of parliament because they can just, just, just get the job done. They can get on with it and they bring a sense of urgency and a sort of sense of decency that translates into being able to actually do the job pretty well.
0: Awesome. And I don't think it's any mistake that you've made in in terms of your team that you talk about how you've employed former members of the armed forces, indeed, from your own regiment. Um, And I think that's often a bit that's overlooked in politics myself um, as a senior NCO um, and the way that I've worked behind the scenes in politics, those transferable skills. And not just suitable for those that are elected but for those working behind the scenes in politics too so i think we we need to talk that up as well and it's great to see you living it in public as an elected person but also living by that in your hiring decisions too so it's pretty awesome to see
1: yeah well thank you i mean a a couple of points i think the first thing to say is for very understandable reasons when we talk about veterans often the, the narrative or the conversation nationally is about supporting those people who've struggled to make the transition. So rightly, you know, we are very concerned about veterans who end up homeless or veterans who end up in the criminal justice system. And of course, we should always seek to ensure that we support those people who've served. Of course, we should do that. But I think we need to be careful to distinguish and to make the point that the overwhelming majority of people who transition out of the armed forces go on to be incredibly successful. And we need to um, talk up the skills and experiences that people have, because I think it's very important that employers, many of whom won't necessarily have had any direct um, experience of the armed forces, understand the value of employing uh, people who have a background in the armed forces So I try and lead by example in terms of actually providing opportunities for people who are veterans to come and work in Parliament, because I think that's the right thing to do. But also, just being very frank about it, there's a degree of self-interest in the sense that as an MP, I know some people think that we, you know, have a huge amount of resource and we have huge teams. We just don't. We have a small team. And that's why having someone who's been in the armed forces, who you can really depend upon, who you can really rely on to deliver, mm-hmm. makes my life a lot easier because every single day I'm kind of you know, engulfed by a tsunami of different kind of requests and information. And actually having really good people who can support me in getting the job done makes a massive difference for me. So it, it's the right thing to do uh, in terms of the example that it sets. But also I actually believe that people who've been in the armed forces have got a huge amount to offer. So it just kind of makes sense on a very practical level.
0: Oh, absolutely. Couldn't agree with you anymore, obviously, preaching to the choir on that one. And also I think which is why it's so important for uh, the armed forces to stand up and serve again in public roles, not just in parliaments. So it's great having yourself as you know one of those champions nationally, but on a local level too in councils, there are twenty thousand opportunities in local government for veterans to stand up and serve again, and they're gonna be role models in communities if people are happy to declare that part of them, because it's not all of us, of course, it's just part of us, then the public's understanding away from that narrative of everyone being mad, bad or sad, or everyone's a hero, that the majority of veterans that sit in between that, if they see them in those roles as a local councillor say, then that's going to be one way that we will just naturally by cutting about our business um, challenge some of those perceptions. So it's really important to talk up some of this, as as you say, as well as making sure that our people are correctly looked after. And just on that, Dan, um, in terms of the suitability for veterans within politics, some people have sort of challenged me and said, it's not necessarily, you know, the right fit. They start getting a bit scared about the military and politics, et cetera. But can you make a comment about the suitability of veterans in, in local government? Because that's really where the majority of our veterans, when they resettle, will have an impact in our politics.
1: I think exactly the same principles apply. I mean, being a local councillor is is an incredibly important job. It's quite a tough job because there's the responsibility with not necessarily always the kind of support that you need to to do the job very well. But I think it's those basic kind of skills that we take from the armed forces of... That kind of Wilco attitude of getting on, getting things done and kind of working around or through the different barriers that you encounter. So, again, I think the skill set that people have means that they are particularly well suited to be in in local government. And I think it's really important that we kind of on a non-partisan basis champion um, the importance of, of ensuring that veterans are provided opportunities to continue to serve. I also think there's a slightly broader point about making sure that we take every opportunity to highlight and champion the achievements of those who are serving and those who have served. You know, we don't have the operational focus that we had five or ten years ago. I think we need to ensure that at, at a time when the armed forces are not necessarily in the public eye as much as they have been, albeit the COVID crisis again reminds us of the adaptability, the flexibility of the armed forces to step in and support. But I think there's a constant requirement to be kind of making the case for why you know people uh, should serve. And you know, as you said earlier on, I, I'm pretty busy, and, and I am. But I will always make time to talk to people on an individual basis who are considering joining the armed forces. So a week or so ago a young guy came to me he said I'm thinking about it you know but no one in my family has ever served before can we have a chat about it and we did. I think all of us who believe in the importance of championing the armed forces and supporting the veterans community I think that we should take those opportunities to make a contribution where we can whether that's through the Royal British Legion or through other organizations at a local and regional level you know let's be proud of our service let's be confident in making the case as to why we should continue to champion and support the armed forces and let's you know let's work together in order to do that
0: and and sometimes all it takes is just going out for a brew and it's so generous of you Uh, not only today but what you do day in day out to inspire people to look at politics um And so you probably do get asked for advice every day of the week um, from the armed forces community. Naturally they're drawn to you because you are in the public eye, you know, people know about your military service. So therefore you're going to get people from the armed forces community coming to you all the time. So out of all those conversations that you've had, what would you say is that one piece of golden advice that you give over and over again? It might not just be one bit of advice might be several bits.
1: I think, there are a couple of things uh, I would say. The, the, the first thing it's it's a bit like joining the armed forces in the sense that you have to do it with your eyes wide open. You have to go into it really understanding the risks, but also you know the upsides and the downsides. And politics is is the same. It's not the easy option in life. You know whatever you do, and this was I guess part of the kind of sort of challenge I faced in terms of transitioning from the military where you. You know, you can serve anonymously, you get on with it and nobody ever sort of seeks to critique your individual actions or, or, or kind of sort of scrutinize the life that you lead. So you have to come into politics with your eyes wide open, understanding that it's a different environment. You can never please all of the people all of the time. You have to accept that. You have to accept that whatever you do and whatever you say, there will be people who will step forward and will criticize you. Sometimes that happens in a really kind of constructive way, and I always welcome that. But it isn't always the case, I have to say. You know, go onto my Facebook page, and, you know, you'll see some pretty nasty stuff, I have to say. So you you have to have thick skin, and you have to go into it fully understanding the risks and the challenges of of doing it. I also think that you have to accept that, um, you know, it's quite a competitive process particularly if you want to be a member of parliament or if you want to be a mayor or a police and crime commissioner, you know, there's a lot of people who want to do that despite the challenges of being in politics. There's still a lot of people who want to do it. So it's a competitive process. So if that's something that you're really interested and committed towards doing, you have to persevere, you know, you have to stick with it. You know, it's a bit like the armed forces, you know, there, there are knockbacks, things happen. You have to kind of sort of, you know, roll with the punches sometimes and if you're really determined and committed to want to do it, stick with it, keep going, don't take no for an answer, have a plan for how it is that you're going to be successful in kind of you know, getting into it and kind of making your mark. And then, you know, maintain the focus of your conviction and keep going. One of the qualities that you need in politics is stamina. You know, You can be a a wonderful, wonderfully charismatic public speaker, or you can have a kind of amazing policy and political brain that will give you, you know, the ability to make really incisive contributions. They're great and they're really useful. But if you haven't got stamina, then you're probably not going to last very long in the cut and thrust of modern politics. So think about it, determine that you definitely want to do it. Uh, and if you do, get stuck in and go for it and let me know if I can help.
0: Thanks to our guests and thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, hit subscribe now. Alternatively, you can support our mission by checking out in the show notes below where you can rate, donate or become our mate. Thank you.